Welcome to Dig It. This is Ed with my co-host, Corey from Corey's Digs. How you doing, Corey? Doing pretty good. How about you? I missed you guys last week. Missed you too. Yeah, doing pretty good. I'm excited to have this conversation because uh, you released this report on the um, new controlled food system is now in place and they will stop at nothing to accelerate their control. And I'm just going to say I've been seeing it everywhere people are talking about it so this is great that we're getting so many good so many eyes on it have you had a good response with it yeah it's it's it went insanely viral it was pretty crazy um and it's it's because it's so important uh i've had my eyes on the food industry for quite some time and i probably like four years ago started covering the the meat end of it and the you know cultured cells and lab-grown meat and where that was heading and trying to warn people because I could see the FDA and USDA getting on board with that and um, clamping down on ranchers as they always do and wanting to do the RFID tags on cattle and all the tracing and tracking and all this stuff. But I kept, I kept watching, like thinking, how, how are they going to control the produce end of it? So, so we've seen them all buying up the farmland, Bill Gates, 242,000 acres and and others, and just just so people know, and I have that in this report, I have the order of, of which, what outside countries own, you know, have been purchasing our farmland and whatnot. And China is actually toward the bottom of the list. Like Canada's at the top. That's so, surprising. When I yeah, they that, own a was... lot more acreage, a lot more. So, uh, but at any rate, so, you know, everyone's going, well, why are they buying all this farmland? Are they just gonna let it go dormant? Are they gonna starve us or? what are they going to do with this and, uh, or build their smart cities. And so I've had my eye on it, trying to discern, you know, what their moves are as far as produce, because I mean, that's a, that's like 80% of our food industry right there. We need our produce and it goes in, in most foods. Um, so when I saw this one particular, facility going up in Arlington, Texas. I saw the, the press release on that. And I started looking into it. As soon as I saw it, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. How many people does this feed? Oh, now I can see their game. So I just started down a massive rabbit hole and found a lot of things that were put in place, uh, original frameworks to build toward this and the funding. And of course the USDA is involved. And, um, and now, now I see it clear as day. <laughs> right. So. You put a lot of pieces together in this and the timing couldn't have been more perfect because people, it's really top of the mind awareness right now with inflation, people noticing the prices at the grocery store, so much talk about food shortages and what's happening with all these so-called accidents and food plants and everything. So people are really hyper aware of this right now. And it was a perfect time to put all of these pieces together to really see the big agenda here. Right. And what's crazy is, as per usual with my reports, I got sidelined with some other projects and then I had a lot going on. And so this had to go on the back burner a couple times. And I knew I was going to be traveling. I was going to be in a vehicle for four straight days. And so I wanted to release it before I got in my truck. And that week, that I released it, which I released on April 27th, was when all the talk of the food processing plants burning up was going on. And 
I said, well, gosh, I have to put that in there because that's no coincidence. Uh, I mean, we're, we're talking like well over 20 plants now in, in like weeks in a matter of, you know, what, last few months, six months. And so I added that in just before I, I closed this out and published it. But then two days later, Catherine emailed me this memorandum that came out and I looked at it and I thought, huh, okay, here's another piece of the puzzle. So I, I was up last night. <laughs> And this morning, digging into this. So everyone's got to bear with me because I literally have written notes and printed notes and highlighted sections. And we're going to kind of wing this. We're going to go through my report, but then I'm going to tie in some of these other things I just found last night that takes this to the international global level. And I, and I do state in my report that this system that's happening in the U.S. is happening in multiple other countries. This is clearly a global agenda, which is why I knew this was their master plan of how they were going to do this. But, but now this adds just a whole other element as to how they're going to try and lock that down on an international level. So we'll get into that. Yeah, so let's dive in. Oh, boy. Okay, so what I'm going to do is, is because these are the most important points, I'm going to read off the bullet points at the top, and then we can go through and, and talk about some of this. I'd, I'd love to get your opinion on a few things in here. So, um, so essentially, the this overall plan here is they're bringing our produce and vegetables, everything indoors, right? Under the guise of climate change and droughts and pesticides and all these things and farmland no longer being productive, even though Bill Gates just bought 242,000 acres of it. So I guess that was the worst investment of the century for him. And that they can produce 300 to 400 times more and in a very fast duration. And some of these, they take this from harvest in zero to 15 days. And then they say, delivered fresh right to your grocery store. Okay, great. The concept's brilliant. I'm sure LED lights are not going to produce nearly as nutritious produce as the sun might, but overall, when you look at it as a whole and you look at, okay, we can grow, you know, people could, I look at this from a standpoint of citizens, right? Like we could set right. this up in our own small backyard. We could develop our own little indoor vertical growing facilities. Um, and especially if they make it difficult for us to get our hands on soil and fertilizer and this and that. And so it, it, the concept is great. It's, right. it's the hands that it, in, it is in that is controlling this on a mega scale that is not so great. So, so just to put this in perspective, the indoor vertical farming industry was valued at 5.5 billion in 2020 and is projected to reach 19.86 billion by 2026. Uh, urban indoor farming controlled by the globalists is the future of food they have reimagined and it's already in thousands of grocery stores without people realizing it. Whereas the US is leading in this industry, this is a global agenda with vertical farms popping up across the globe. So, so Bowery farming which is the new facility I had first looked into. Um, and they're, they're in other cities as well. But the one they're putting up in Arlington, Texas, just outside of Dallas, is large enough to serve 16 million people in a 200 mile radius. So 
people understand the gravity of this. We've got multiple companies financed by big investors with some of the ones that are public. We have Vanguard and BlackRock as shareholders, top shareholders. And these are going into your metropolitan cities and your urban areas because their whole goal is to cull the masses into the urban and metropolitan areas because right. that is where they are they are building out the infrastructure for their smart grid control system right smart cities everybody's going to have to live in their smart cities be monitored 24 7 work for the state and of course the digital id has to come into play at some point right in order to get oh, access to everything. Right. And so with indoor facilities uh, locked down and them having contracts with major grocery store chains, which we'll get into, they now are going to knock out the farmers altogether eventually. And, and, and there's, oof, when we start getting into the seeds and everything, that's, that's concerning as well. Uh, especially with what they pulled over in Africa, which which we'll talk about later on. So, so yeah, so they're going to completely control the system, which is all you know. They're using like high end robotics and uh, smart systems, of course, and data analysis and just high end everything. And it's all about sustainability and. Um, you look at all their websites and they all use the exact same verbiage and how it's, you know, 97% less water and yada, yada, yada. And we're going to get this fresh to your store within two weeks. Isn't it great? If only you can enter that store, if you have a digital identity right? (laughs) and and, and your foods or your items could be rationed because of food shortages and supplies because, you know, plants going up in flames in Ukraine and all that good stuff. So, so Aero Farms, who has the largest indoor vertical farming facility in the world as of right now, co-developed, this is good, the first CRISPR-Cas9 gene-edited produce product, and now hundreds are following, while National Geographic believes that gene editing is the next food revolution. AeroFarms also worked on an NIH-sponsored trial to produce proteins for the COVID jabs. So big hmm. company there. Yeah. Right. And, and then, I, go ahead. No, well, I was just going to say, when we get further down, you'll see that I, I, I basically took some of the biggest ones, obviously not all of them, but a lot of the littler ones don't make it because some of these mega facilities, they're like a hundred million dollars just to build these structures, right. And get it going. Right. And so I do break down like the grocery stores, the locations that the, the, they're serving that they're in and all the investors of each of these companies. Right. What were you going to say? Well, when you hear anything gene editing related, of course it rings, raises that red flag in this po- in this post COVID world that we live in with MRNA jabs. Right. And um, everything being gene edited, that's worked out so well for us. Right. So, mm-hmm. and then of course that automatically makes me jump to the next thought about how we heard about the gene editing of plants in order to insert 
um, the COVID vaccine into our food system. What better way to do it than if some giant conglomerate basically owned by yep. BlackRock or Vanguard controls the food supply, right? So Exactly. I can- and who are they having working on that little project? The University of California, no doubt. So they're working on uh, edible vaccine heads of lettuce. So they're already working on that. And then we've got Monsanto Bayer is creating gene edited seeds for vertical farm companies, while Bill Gates, the Rockefeller and Ford Foundations and the World Bank control 10% of the world's germplasms and hold some of the world's largest seed banks. Bayer and BASF, B-A-S-F, two of the world's largest suppliers of seed are both involved with the vertical farm industry. So, so we get, well, well, let's just talk about it now. I'm curious what your thoughts are. So just so people know, genetically modified GMOs is different than gene edited. And the difference is GMO is inserting foreign DNA, whereas gene edited is removing a nucleotide, which then causes it to, to mutate into its new form. And so through trial and error, they will go through and they'll try to isolate a nucleotide with the CRISPR and they'll remove it. And then they'll, they'll try to get it to be, um, so that it's not disease prone. So like they've done this with, um, gosh, was it, uh, I forget what plants it took them like 10 months. And I have a video in here where, uh, I think it's Carolyn Ramison gave a speech. Um, it's about an hour, hour and a half long interesting stuff. If you want to learn more about it, she gets into the whole CRISPR. She shows video real-time stuff of how they're doing this. And um, she makes a really good opening argument saying, well, you know, we crossbreed dogs all the time. We, uh, throughout years and centuries, we go back and we've, um, people have, have picked the best ones and they reuse those seeds. So they're weeding through it. And there's this natural mutation of produce. So all we're doing is isolating the nucleotide that removes the, the area that could um, make it more prone to disease so that it's, so that it doesn't get diseases or it's more drought resistant. And, and here's, here's the catch. With that, though, you're still not allowing it to do a natural augmentation, right? You're forcing right. it. Mm-hmm. And so now you're forcing this mutation. And and yet, even though the European Union doesn't distinguish between gene editing and GMO, the U.S. does. And so regulations on gene editing are very loose as compared to GMOs. So they could, you know, sure, the plant could look beautiful. Look, it's no longer getting powdery leaves. You know, it's, it's, it's keeping that disease off because we gene edited it. Well, what happens after someone's been eating it for five years? I mean, we don't, right. these studies need to be done. And they allegedly do test them after they've done this. They test them on mice, but for how long? I don't know, especially if you've got a lax government that's unwilling to do strict regulations on this. Exactly. Exactly. So, what could possibly go, go wrong with Monsanto and Bill Gates and Rockefeller <laughs> and the World Bank controlling our seed supply? 
Oh, yeah. I don't know. So I don't I don't have a good feeling about it. I mean, if we were in like super dire times, right? And and everything was drought and you couldn't grow food anywhere and all we had left with this was this these indoor facilities, but we were really struggling with some of our produce. And for some reason it kept coming up disease. And they said, Hey, look, we can do this brilliant, you know, splicing. We'll just cut this out. It'll prevent it. We'll be able to feed the mass. I mean, maybe, maybe I'd be okay with that then. But right now with everyone who's controlling this and what's going on, and we know that this is a completely forced agenda for control. <clears throat> I don't like it. Right. I mean, what what's to stop them from gene editing and it in a way to affect the human population a certain way, as they have done, and being very very covert about it, as they have done with the mRNA COVID jab, um, right. being very very um, sealed up, not no information as far as the full contents of it. You have to put all of your trust in the people who are behind the actual gene editing to say, okay, yeah, I, it could possibly be a good idea. But when you when you've got names like Monsanto, Bill Gates, Rockefeller, World Bank, things like that. That doesn't exactly instill trust at all. In fact, it seems very, very sinister. Right. Well, and in addition to the edible vaccines, that just sounds delicious. Farmers can grow just, just fields of heads of lettuce and you just feed the family a head of lettuce and they've been vaccinated. In addition to that, a while back when I did my eugenics six-part report, there I, I went back to the 19 to 1900 and did an entire timeline on it. And in the 19, I believe it was the late 1960s, I found a document out of the Rockefeller site themselves. It was their document and they were wanting to create, um, they were talking about adding, uh, not sterilization, but, but they didn't feel that what was available out there was enough for to prevent fertility, right? Okay, we'll just call it sterilization. And so they did, they were talking about um, potentially adding stuff into vaccines and into food. And so you look at that and I just, and then you look at the fact that in that report, I can't remember if it was like 50 or 60%, but ever since GMOs came into the picture, food allergies have gone off the charts. Exactly. Diabetes, obesity, and um oh there was one other thing i was just thinking all sorts of diseases obesity yeah i mean all of these things kind of help them to achieve their goals right these eugenicists these depopulationists right so oh yeah the sperm and men it was down like 40 percent mm-hmm. it's crazy what's what's happening so so some, something's going on here, whether we attribute it to uh, food or the atmosphere, I would say food's a pretty, pretty good. Pretty Probably good both. Probably yeah. a bit of both. Right. And so, uh, so, so we already have the USDA and FDA that have approved the lab grown meat. Um, we've already got the first facility that launched out in San Francisco backed by Bill Gates, of course. Um, we've got, you know, the, the, again, the dozens of major food processing and meat plants going up in flames, in addition to the fertilizer issue. 
And then we have now Union Pacific mandating railroad shipping reductions by 20%, which is impacting CF Industries Holdings, the world's largest fertilizer company, which of course Vanguard and BlackRock and State Street happen to be the top shareholders of Union Pacific and BlackRock and Vanguard are in the top three of CF Industry Holdings. And when you when I was reading the articles where the CEO or whoever it was of CF Holdings talking about this and how this is going to affect their business, at no point did he say how they're going to get around it or if they're going to use another rail or what they're going to do to get to, to continue the distribution. And I found that really odd, you know, just to yeah. reassure everyone. So, um, okay, so let's get into, uh, we already know, the food industry is monopolized by 10 companies and um, almost all of which Vanguard and BlackRock are the top shareholders. So here's the thing that I found most interesting that I've, I've not really seen reported on. And so in 2014, during the Obama administration, Congress established the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research Act through the Farm Bill. And it created this nonprofit organization outside of the government with a 200 million kickoff from taxpayer dollars and additional millions in support from Bill Gates. Go figure. So in doing that, it created a 15 member board of directors. And wouldn't you know, Deputy Director Dr. Robert Horsch was from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and we also had high-ranking employees from Cargill and the Aspen Institute. And their goal was to leverage public and private resources to increase the scientific and technological research, innovation, and partnerships critical to boosting America's agriculture economy. Okay, great. So I'm just going to refer to that, found, that foundation there as FAR, because it's FFAR. So then what happens is on April 2nd, 2019, FAR announced they were launching this Precision Indoor Plants Consortium called PIP, which is a public-private partnership consisting of indoor growers, breeders, and genetics companies, which includes AeroFarms, BASF, Benson Hill Biosystems, Fluence Bioengineering, Green Venus, on and on and on. So their focus is on five key crops which is lettuce, tomatoes, strawberries, cilantro, and blueberries with a goal to advance speed breeding and to alter chemicals produced in plants that impact flavor, nutrition, and medicines. And medicines. Mm, and medicines. Mm -hmm. All right. So, so now, uh, I, so basically they started building this framework a while back and I think it was probably around 20, yeah, about 2015, 2016 is when we start seeing these, the founding of many of these companies, though I think AeroFarms has been around for a while. So, um, okay, so now let me just scroll down through some of this here. While you're so, scrolling, is this a good time to mention what I saw about Cargill? Because you yeah, mentioned Cargill. Yeah, yeah, so um, you were talking about how they, these guys partnered up with Bill Gates a Foundation and part uh, high-ranking employees from Cargill um, were part of that as well. And then it's like a year later after that, that they ran, that Cargill ran a food chain reaction crisis simulation, mm -hmm. which ended with a global carbon tax. This was in 2015, the next year. So they started game planning um, 
like a, doing a simulation for the year 2020 to 2030 and listen to some of these eerie, eerie findings from their simulation on a food chain crisis. Okay. The good old simulations. Okay. So they projected actually two major food crises and a 400% increase in long-term average of prices as well as a government toppling in Pakistan and Ukraine. Huh. Huh. Interesting. Going on down here, it looks like in their simulation, they predicted a food shortage in, whoa, looky there. 2022. Wow. (laughs) Uh, Imagine that. Well, it turns out that this simulation that they ran, it ended up in a global carbon tax by 2030. Uh, no doubt. Wow, that is really interesting. And I think yeah, that, that was a good find, dude. I should I wish I would have found that to include in this report. <laughs> look, so it looks like this this simulation um helped them to promote investing jointly and smart agricultural Mm -hmm. technology so this actually probably helped boost their plans for this whole um you know vertical farming system right right well it's all about technology and smart technology and tracing it from farm to your plate in your home just like everything else they want to trace. So, uh, okay, so let's go into seeds real quick. So we've got the consultative group of international agriculture research holds the world's largest private seed banks consisting of 10% of the world germplasm across the globe, which is controlled by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Rockefeller and Ford Foundations and World Bank managing 768,576 accessions of hijacked farmer seeds. So once the future of food through vertical farming took root, August 2020, Monsanto, now Bayer, and Singapore's sovereign fund, how do you say it? Is it Temasek? Yeah, that sounds right. Launched a 30 million startup called Unfold which develops new vegetable seed varieties tailored to vertical farms. So they Bayer licensed their rights to seed germaplasm from their vegetable portfolio, which one can imagine what Monsanto's portfolio looks like. So by 2021, they leased a 12,000 square foot laboratory research building in Davis, California. And uh, they're saying, I couldn't help but get a little sarcasm in here. But don't worry, rather than genetically modifying and inserting a gene into the DNA strand, like how Monsanto operated, which was acquired by Bayer in 2018, they only intend to cut a gene, still modifying its DNA. So so GMOs already account for 75 to 80% of food Americans consume. Wow. That's, tells you yeah. a, a lot about our issues with heart disease, or a lot about our issues with obesity, allergies, you name it. Right. So there's already over a hundred companies in the Sacramento area working on seed development. So, and, and, and by working on seed development, I mean, they're all like chomping at the bit, really excited about the gene editing angle of all this. So, um, so now in your, the USDA, (laughs) 
the USDA wrote this piece, this article on vertical farming for the future. And they published this October, 2021. Just so everyone's following along with this timeline here. They say, imagine walking into your local grocery store on a frigid January day to pick up freshly harvested lettuce, fragrant basil, juicy sweet strawberries and ripe red tomatoes, all of which were harvested at a local farm only hours before you'd arrived. Yes, it sounds wonderful if only these people weren't behind this. So, right. so let me scroll down here. Let's see. Okay, so we already kind of went over the lab-grown meat. We're just going to skip over that with the exception of upside foods. Um, you know what? Oh, yeah, unfold. Okay, so upside food labs. Lab-grown meat facility uh, just launched in California, which is funded by Bill Gates, Temasek Holdings, and 37 other investors. And the USDA and FDA, which I've already covered in previous reports, is completely on board with the lab-grown meat and genetic modifications. First it was the pigs, then the salmons, now it's the cattle. Um, the Good Food Institute, which people have probably never heard of, February 1st, 2016, they launched by uh, Bruce Friedrich, Friedrich with funding from Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Open Philanthropy Project and Y Combinator with the goal to reimagine meat production. So in October, 2021, the Good Food Institute celebrated the USDA's 10 million grant for the creation of the first ever National Institute for Cellular Agriculture at Tufts University so they can back research in manufactured meat. So, all of this is part of the 2030 agenda. Um, and uh, we can, I, it, this has been hammered to death in the news. So I think we can skip over the part of all the, the food plants, but I mean, this is, you know, it's not like, oh, there were, there were massive fires in California and it took out four food plants. We're talking Arizona, Arkansas, California, Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Oregon, Texas, Washington, and Wisconsin. So a little coincidental to me. Yeah, pretty coincidental. And I think since you um, published this, there was actually another one out of Virginia that happened on April 30th, um, oh. Purdue Farms in Chesapeake, Virginia. Oh so oh boy, it just keeps going. Right. And then we've got the Weaver Fertilizer Plant in Winston-Salem that caught fire, billing, uh, burning several hundred tons of ammonium nitrate. Um, so on we already covered the, the Union Pacific. We can skip that. I don't know how many people are aware. I, I covered this in a past report as well, but the Canadian National Railway, which runs from New Orleans up through Illinois, branching out through Michigan and Minnesota up into Canada, they allege, allege on their website to be helping the fertilizer market grow. And yet I didn't see any of these places talking about this that were impacted by Union Pacific. And I don't know the logistics of how that would work, but uh, coincidentally, Bill Gates holds the largest ownership stake in CN. And he's all about fertilizers. We've got, you know, him and his buddies and Breakthrough Energy Ventures are, are working on um, different forms of fertilizers, of course, which will probably end up taking over. And, um, and here's, here's a really good one that I found just to, uh, in, a, in an evaluation report. Um, so it's a Gates-led and Rockefeller-funded alliance for a green revolution in Africa. It's called AGRA. I'm sure people have heard of this before. 
they we never get reports right on the failures because most of these are slush funds. They'll do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And the rest of it is just money laundering. So we now have a report. They were pressured for 15 years. They've been like pressured. We want to see a progress report. What's happening. You promised that you were going to double the yields and incomes for 30 million farming households by 2020. We're now in 2022. What the hell is going on? So February 28th, 2022, we finally get this evaluation. And the funny part is, is this was funded by the Gates Foundation. So you can't even deny its validity, but they were they were uh, intentionally leaving out some key data points, of course. Uh, but there were other evaluations that were coming in from groups as well, including an assessment by Tufts University, which revealed little evidence of progress and in fact showed a 31% increase in hunger. So these were like false promises, a total epic fail. Um, I have the link in my report here for anyone who wants to see it. There's um, one group who did a great uh, kind of summary of it all, as well as the other evaluations that were rolled out. But one of the things that they were involved in, and this, this is why I put this in here, um, not only to show their lies and failures, uh, but they, one of their biggest achievements was their participation in 72 agricultural policy reforms in 11 African countries pertaining to seed, fertilizer, and market access. There were laws created to protect intellectual property rights for certified seeds, while penalties were created for open source seed sharing. So, so they couldn't like they had farmers who wanted to share seeds with other farmers and they weren't allowed to do this or there would be penalties so wow. so i'm looking at this going holy cow that i could see them pulling this here and i'm looking at you know how many of them already own most of the seeds right we've right. got bass cortiva which was formerly dupont uh, Syngenta, which is part of ChemChina, and Monsanto, which is now Bayer, they control roughly 50% of the global seed market. And then we got wow. the billionaires controlling a bunch of seed banks. And so I start poking around and I see, well, just on March 17th, 2022, there was a notice published to the U.S. Federal Register that nobody saw because they never announced this stuff, seeking comments by May 16th, 2022, so you can still put your comments in, not that it will really do anything, uh, on competition and intellectual property system, seeds and other agricultural inputs. Now, you could say they're, you know, of course, of course, it's all worded in such a way that makes it look like they're trying to fight for the farmers and protect their intellectual property rights of seeds. And <laughs> yeah, we know where this is going. Right. 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 Another They're, reason why they want to do gene editing is because then they can now patent it. It now belongs to them. Right. They can mm -hmm. own it. It can't be shared. Exactly. Exactly. And so the it's it's like formality, right? They have to put it to the Federal Register to see comments before they're going to go and they're going to make some changes. And after seeing this crap they pulled in uh, Africa, I could see this as something coming down the pike that they're going to try and pull here. So I'm not trying to be an alarmist. I'm just calling it like I'm seeing it with these people. Um, so, so we've already got, uh, and I, again, I covered this in a different report, 
in July 2021, the FDA released their new era of smarter food safety, which consists of using tech-enabled traceability for a digital traceable food system from farm to plate using blockchain. So this is where the whole digital identity, which I've covered extensively in, in my book and other reports, comes into play where, like we said earlier, you go, you know, they're already, the who in them are already working on doing a global digital certificate and trying to put the who in charge of our health on, an, on a global scale, calling right. all the shots. With governments around the world just handing over their sovereignty, signing off and saying, anytime there's a, a global emergency, you d get to declare all these unelected bureaucrats at the UN to get to decide what happens in these sovereign nations. Right, exactly. So now we've got, uh, if you scroll down, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go through this because we already talked about this, but this is where the video is. Um, very interesting for anyone who wants to come to their own conclusions on uh, using CRISPR to edit our food. And then we've got uh, mapping some of the biggest vertical farms, uh, crops, investors, grocers, and locations. And so I just have, uh, I have several videos throughout here that, that I thought would, you know, people would find informative. They're anywhere from like three minutes to 10 minutes tops, uh, just on what they're calling, like why the future of farming is in cities, you know, um, high tech city farming. And this is, this is what they are pushing for. Uh, I've got the little map in here just showing facilities by region, how they're pushing for the greenhouse. It's not just the vertical indoor farming. They're also doing these massive scale greenhouses and they've got rooftop ones too. And there, a lot of them are focused on uh, tomatoes for the greenhouses. So, so this is how I break it down and we won't sit and go through each, each of these because I want to make sure I have time to cover the other thing that I found last night. But I start with Aero Farms and I basically... I give a little more background on Aero Farms than the others because they've been around. They were founded in 2004. Um, and they're, it's clear to me that they are very heavily connected in. Um, you know, they were the first ones to do the gene editing. They were involved in the NIH trial having to do with the COVID jabs. And, um, and I'm just looking at, at where they're going with this. And they're saying, I'll just read one thing here. I found a March, 2021 SEC document where they were looking at doing a, a merger with Spring Valley Acquisition Corp. And it later fell through. But the CFO of Aero Farms highlighted their experience with genet advanced genetics in this SEC document. So this is what they say. And, and this is important because this is what essentially they're all gonna be after. To be clear, we are a technology platform, not a conventional greenhouse grower using off the shelf equipment. We have had over 250 invention disclosures to date, a number which is constantly growing. We have grown over 550 different varieties of plants to date. We also see an addressable market in advanced genetics using our platform for speed breeding and other genetic developments, development work in plants. Here, we are a founding member of the Precision Indoor Plants Consortium and principal investigator for its first and largest project in lettuce. That's what we talked about earlier, the, the PIP that was formed from back in 
2019 from the whole 2014 deal through the Obama administration. Okay. So with this partnership, we work alongside companies like BASF to utilize our platform to optimize new genetics. Another example has to do with CRISPR-Cas9. If you're not familiar, the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 2020 went to the developers of CRISPR-Cas9, which is a genetic editing tool where scientists are able to pull out a genetic trait in a genetic sequence. Using our platform, we co-developed the first CRISPR-Cas9 produce product. So that's where I discovered that in the first place was through that SEC doc. Mmm, yummy. CRISPR Yum. veggies. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So they've also part they're partnered in just February of this year. They partnered with uh I don't know how to pronounce this. Is it Silao? Silao? Yeah, it's that sounds right. Abu Dhabi's leading fresh produce and agrotech company for long-term research and development. Sorry, my dog's coughing in the background here. <laughs> <laughs> For long-term research and development of transferring technology and data analytics of high-tech farming systems, the goal is to improve the genetics and seedling quality of vegetables and fruit. They may also work with international consortia on developing new genotypes of crops. So this is something they're looking to do on a global scale. So if, if we want to start growing stuff, you can only grow in another country and vice versa. They can make that happen. Mm-hmm. So it sounds deliciously cool. If for only. So, so what I do then you can see as I break down, they're serving grocery stores, distributors, and online grocers, um, such as Amazon Fresh, Balder Specialty Foods, Fresh Direct Express, which is an online grocer, uh, ShopRite, which I see I didn't do a hard return on that. So I got to edit that. <laughs> Singapore Airlines, Stop and Shop, Walmart, and Whole Foods. So they already have um, commercial and research and development farms in uh, Ithaca, New York, Newark, New Jersey, Danville, Virginia, Abu Dhabi. And, and then I have, they've raised 238 million in funds from 13 investors. And so I'm not gonna go through every detail of this. Um, I, I cover 80 acres farms, which is a robot powered indoor farm. Um, said to produce 300 times more food than a conventional farm. They all, they all pretty much say that. So, and, and again, they're in Kroger's everywhere. They're in restaurants, Cisco, Fresh Market, U.S. Foods, Whole Foods. Whole Foods is big in all of this, of course. Um, they're in Alabama, Arkansas, Indiana, Kentucky, North Carolina, Ohio. This, these are not small scale ventures here. These are, these are huge. They've gotten 250 million from 10 investors. We've got App Harvest which is in um, Kroger, Meyer, and Walmarts in, uh, do I not have the cities listed on this one? Um, states. But uh, I don't well, the they're states. headquartered in Kentucky. Oh yeah, yeah, because they're doing, what it is is they have one of the biggest greenhouses at 2.76 million square feet on 60 acres where they solely grow tomatoes. So they, um, yeah, they're in Kroger's, Myers, and Walmart's. They've got and raised five hundred and sixty-six million. Um, again, that one's a public company, so we've got Vanguard and BlackRock in there. We got Bowery Farming, which I talked about earlier. They're already in New Jersey, Maryland, Pennsylvania. They're building in Arlington, Texas. They're coming to Georgia soon in Locust Grove. Um, 
that's a huge one. They're in, how do you say it? Ace, is it Acme? ACME? Yeah. In 164 Acme stores, Amazon Fresh, Giant Food, 111 Safeways, Specialty Grocers, Walmart, Weiss, Whole Foods. They've raised $646 million. We got Hydro Farms. They are... Uh, <laughs> They were, they were actually founded in 1977 and they're a public company. Again, we got Vanguard and BlackRock in there. They're, they're headquartered in Fairless Hills, Pennsylvania. So they're a distributor and manufacturer of a controlled environment, agriculture, equipment and supplies, which includes vertical farming. So uh, they expanded, let's see, by acquiring da, 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 da. Okay. So that's, they're a big one. And then we've got um, InFarm, another one that that has, which one was this? Let's see, InFarm, they're a private company. Now they're based in uh, Berlin, Germany, and they use hydroponic farming in grocery stores so that this is another area how it's coming in. So, so that the produce grows on site. So they've completed over 500 installations in stores and distribution centers in various parts of the world. And in 2019, they partnered with Kroger to do installs in QFC supermarkets in Washington state. Go figure. In 2020, they expanded to QFCs in Oregon as well. Uh, They raised over $604 million. A lot of, a lot of people in here. It's interesting. I see Idio in here, which was in my vaccine passport book. There's actually some overlap, obviously, with investors in here, as in my um, the whole digital identity book. And then we have Iron Ox, which Bill Gates is all excited about. They, this was founded in 2015, and they're a private company headquartered in San Carlos, California. So Bill Gates, Breakthrough Energy Ventures, which actually includes about 20 nefarious characters, but they always just call it his company. And I have all of those people listed in this report. They invested 50 million into it. Um, It's a company that builds the robots that are incorporated into the hydroponic systems. And these robots are equipped with sensors to detect nitrogen and acidity levels in water. And they're running farms in North Carolina and Lockhart, Texas right now. What could possibly go wrong when all of these jobs are automated? Millions of people are out of work, including the entire farming sector for their dystopian fourth industrial revolution and all of these so-called useless eaters. What are they going to be left to do? I don't know. I guess guess that's that's leading into their depopulation agenda because there won't be anything for them to do anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, in some of them, I saw that there was as many as a hundred employees, but that's it for these ginormous facilities because the, everything is so automated and they've, they've got robots and everything working in here. So I envision this future. I can't help it. I picture guys with like guns standing outside the facilities so no one can go in and steal the food. <laughs> wow. So, so then we have plenty unlimited, which, uh, Oh, they did their own little video here. We've got vertical farms of the future. Uh, Vertical farms could take over the world. And they were founded in 2014. At Plenty, we're proud of the fresh, flavorful greens we grow on our farm and of our transparent growing process, which lets us track a plant from seed to kitchen. This is the goal. 
Um, and so what they say in here, just a couple little blurbs in here that I found interestingly significant. Uh, Nate Story, who's one of the founders, he says, we don't have the land, the resources, or the ability to compensate with high nutrition food. Okay, I guess we don't have any land here in the US. Right, because Bill Gates bought it all. <laughs> and then the narrator of the video goes on to say, picture a scenario where we got rid of all the traditional farms and replaced them with vertical farms. This is the kind of technology and efficiency we'll need with the Artemis base on the moon and eventually on Mars. Yeah. So Plenty is serving over 430 Alberts and supermarkets in California, including Safeways and Vons with facilities in Compton and San Francisco. In 2020, they worked their way into Whole Foods markets in the Bay Area. In 2022, uh, Walmart announced its long-term partnership with Plenty with a $400 million investment allowing for Walmart to source Plenty's produce for all of their California stores and also get a position on Plenty's board of directors. They're in, um, uh, you can do online ordering through Good Eggs, Instacart, and Amazon's Fresh Market. And we've got $940 million in funds from 13 investors, obviously, including Bezos and a bunch of other characters here. And uh, their goal is to erect 500 vertical farms in highly populated urban areas around the world. Whew. Then we got Upward Farms, uh, another one who's a private company out of Brooklyn, New York. And they only have five investors, but... They recently announced their plans to build the world's largest indoor vertical farm in Luzerne County, Pennsylvania, capping out at 250,000 square feet by 2023. I mean, these are wow. mega, mega indoor food houses here. And then I just get into some of the giant greenhouses. Um, you got to love the name Gotham, Gotham Greens. And they've got these huge rooftop greenhouses. Um, in uh, Baltimore, Brooklyn, Chicago, Davis, Denver, Providence, and Queens. They can produce. So in, in Chicago, they added a second greenhouse. So they've doubled their heads of lettuce production to produce 11 million heads of lettuce per year. That's a fair amount. And Whole Foods was their first one that they got involved with back in 2013 out of Brooklyn. And they built their first rooftop greenhouse on top of uh, Whole Foods as a supermarket combo greenhouse right above where they're selling some of it. Isn't mm. that lovely? Yeah. So fancy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay. I see we're running out of time, so I should probably flip over, but I have a whole conclusion here. Some really important other connecting points that I tie together. Um, with the whole, you know, ESGs tying into this, the digital identities tying into this, um, and uh, the the globe. One of the things that really hasn't been mentioned is the global genomic surveillance strategy. So when everyone's been talking about this new treaty on the pan, what is it called, the pandemic preparedness, yada yada, with the WHO taking I over and. Yeah, so everyone's talking about that and the IHR and the amendments they want to make. Well, in the meantime, they slipped in this um, this uh, plan by the Rockefellers 
and it's a 10-year global genomic surveillance strategy. And so I linked to that. People should check that out. Um, and that that is uh, health-related on basically continuing to collect our DNA. Everything is about genetics with these people. So imagine that. Eugenicists being interested <laughs> no. in genetics. <laughs> it isn't so. All right. All right. So here's so now if we go to the next tab. Oh, the next tab. Yeah. In twenty uh in twenty twenty, the WHO formed the WHO Foundation. I don't I don't know how many people know that. I just pulled um this is just their December thirty first, twenty twenty one contributions. And if we look at this list, it's funny. The very first one on there is, oh, Accenture, digital IDs. Okay. And we got pharmaceutical companies and, you know, all the, all the, you know, Facebook, Nestle, all the characters in here. So when they started their little foundation as, a, as another way to get additional funds coming in. So that was in 2020. So two days after I release my report, Catherine emails me this memorandum um, and, and says that they're, uh, they're involved with the food too, which I knew they were, but I didn't know to what degree and how they were going to pull this on an international level to make it cohesive, you know? So I look at this and I start reading it and I start cross-referencing and digging around last night and I find this budget and I find these other documents and I say, ah, now I see. So what we have is on April 29th of this year, just uh, what, like a week ago, this memorandum of understanding between the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations and the World Organization for Animal Health and the World Health Organization and the United Nations Environment Program regarding cooperation to combat health risks at the animal-human ecosystems interface in the context of the One Health approach and including antimicrobial res resistance. So this is roughly a, I think, nine page document um, that also incorporates food. And it's like I was saying in some of my previous reports, they're gonna use foodborne disease as, as the means to create more standards, regulations and control our food industry, right? right. That's all gonna fall under this. And uh, I think I was even saying that before they even put out the pandemic here. Right. So, and then you see all these, oh, uh, you know, scare tactics of avian bird flu and, uh -huh. you know, the, you know, H1N1 and all of these things popping back up. Well, that leads into this um, justification for them taking control of the food systems. Right. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So. So. So I'm just going to read a couple highlighted points here. Um, basically, on page two, they're recalling just, you know, some like past info to bring you up to date on this. And in April 2010, the concept note, Annex 1, setting a strategic direction and proposing a long-term basis for international collaboration aimed at coordinating global activities to address health risks at the animal-human ecosystem interface, focus, focusing in particular on AMR, which is antimicrobial resistance, uh, rabies and zoonotic influenza. So this is a, in October, they're saying recalling October 2017th commitment the multi-sectoral collaboration and decided to broaden their cooperation to other topics and activities embracing the One Health approach. 
And uh, this is a, they're, they're saying the member states, which, which the US is part of, asked the secretary general to establish in consultation with WHO, FAO, and OIE, an ad hoc interagency coordination group co-chaired by the executive office of the secretary general and WHO, drawing where necessary on expertise from relevant stakeholders. Just replace the word stakeholders with the billionaire control freaks to provide practical guidance for approaches needed to ensure sustained effective global action to address AMR. Okay, so in 2019-2020, they had a work plan they were working on and they created this, they established the One Health High Level Expert Panel and the draft on global plan of action for health. And so I start poking around and this all overlaps, right? This all ties together. Um, well, let me finish this before we cover the, the, the budget. There's some points in this budget that's a totally separate document. So let's see, da, 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 da. established by the political declaration, adopted by the United Nations. So this is to reinforce, reinforcing of national and regional services in human health, animal health, and food safety through the assessment of these services. This is part of their purpose. It's point two under the purpose, they include food safety. Um, point four, addressing food safety challenges requiring a multi-sector approach in the context of reinforcing food security. Okay, then we've got... And uh, food security, they actually mean food control. So, right, right. yes. Control, <laughs> yes. complete control. <laughs> yes. One of these days I'm going to finish my dictionary of uh, the, the globalist true dictionary. Um, so let's see, implementation of activities, da, 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 da. I can skip through that, um, including, yeah, antimicrobial resistance. They're focused on, you know, emerging and endemic zoonotic disease, including foodborne diseases. So we get the point. We get where they're going with this. And they're working together and this is for the you know for the purpose of protecting us all of course and this is in effect through um it'll remain in force this memorandum here this agreement that they all signed until may 29th 2023 which is an interesting timeline because i believe that's when they wanted to roll out the digital certificates um Okay, so that's that. So now if we go over to this budget I found, which is on the next tab, this is the who's uh, 2022-2023 program, proposed program budget, which they are looking at. Um, I got to pull it up on my end too, so I can scroll down, so bear with me. Um, so they're looking at the... Hang on. I've written notes. Sorry, guys. I've got stuff everywhere here because no, I'm literally doing this this morning. Um, I don't know how you keep it all, all together. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I'll just go to it. All right. So let's see. Page, page 92. So, so this is a, a budget that they are proposing that they are looking to agree upon in May of this year, which coincidentally, you know, obviously is the same time they're looking to put forth these amendments to the IHR um, 
that the International Health Regulation Group that was formed in 2005 that we are all involved in. Um, that whole thing that I think everyone pretty much already knows about. So I'm not going to go into that. So, so May, key month. So uh, on page 92, they talk about the, um, and I obviously didn't have time to read this entire 129 page budget they're proposing that's being voted on this month. But I wanted to pull out just to show on an international level how they're going to take um, what they're doing with the food industry overall. So we know what they're doing with the meat. We know what they're doing, what their goal is now moving forward with the produce and having indoor facilities in urban areas, right? Right. And so they're saying the secretariat will step up its leadership by establishing a who-wide food system initiative to improve the health of people and the planet, building on the outcomes of the United Nations Food System Summit 2021 and the WHO Global Strategy for Food Safety, including through engaging public, private, and civil society actors to support responsible investments in food systems that deliver safe, healthy foods for all. So we're now going beyond the foodborne disease language. It's not even necessary anymore. We're just all up in your food. We're going to build a whole food-wide system of what we think is best. And Right. And, and <laughs> what's to stop us from declaring a global health emergency based on the food system? And then all of the governments who have signed over their national sovereignty to the WHO then have to just allow the WHO, who are unelected, to decide what we do with our food systems under a so-called health emergency, right? Exactly. And, and now I can't help it, but my mind goes back to the report I did on the uh, biolab that they moved to Kansas. And I was warning back then because I was looking at the foodborne disease. Uh, mm, what's the big one, Edge? The, oh, it's totally escaping me right now. Well, Somebody you- in the comments will, will remind me. Um, the, the big one that they, that they moved that was supposed to be destroyed and they moved it to this facility. And there's like a key player there that was moved around over to that facility that had overseen that. And so that was a big alert for me. I said, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to scare people. I can't help it. I'm just, I'm seeing their game and pointing out the facts and their timeline here. And I'm looking at this and going, they're going to try to pull some crap on foodborne illness. Now, it could be a false flag. Maybe nothing ever even happened, happens, you know, and they just declare that it did. Or, the, or they could try and pull something and release something that just affects some local area and make it seem like it's going to spread everywhere. And so now we have to go on lockdown with meats or what have you. Right. So that, that concerns me a little bit. Um, so they're looking to develop an initiative to accelerate access to safe and adequately fortified foods by developing or updating evidence-informed policies and standards, building capacity among multiple stakeholders so as to improve fortification uptake, quality, and monitoring, and addressing emerging issues that limit the credibility and adoption of this food system's intervention like us <laughs> right so right how, have, how dare you grow so your own food we we're control building the food this supply. whole new food system and everybody get on board because we already have plans to block you too 
Then we have, um, let's see, engaging in non-health sector policy forums, the Committee on World Food Security to advocate for policy changes related to the implementation of who recommended interventions and engaging more effectively in negotiations on the development of food standards. Okay, so now go down to page 90. Oh, that was page 93. Um, let's see, at the bottom here. We got develop international norms, standards, and recommendations through the codex. I'm going to butcher this. Elementarius. There you go. You got it. Am I saying it right? Yeah. Terrible at pronouncing things. All right. <laughs> Commission, including on antimicrobial resistance. Update the WHO list of critically important antimicrobials. Da, 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 da. Oh, yeah. Antimicrobials for human medicine. Mm -hmm. um, provide strategic guidance and scientific recommendations for the development of food standards. Develop standards for food for public food procurements. Hmm. Update the assessment of the foodborne disease burden. Regularly assess the status of food security and nutrition in the world and regularly assess the implementation of the International Code of Marketing of Breast Milk Substitutes. Okay, so... So now let's roll over to, what do I have next? Is that the USDA one? Yeah. Okay. Just so everyone understands, hang on, I got to bounce over to my email note I made to myself. Okay. The Codex program, what they're referring to here on international standards. So now this is from uh, what we're looking at here is the USDA's 2019 to 2023 new plan on Codex program. And I'm going to read you just their brief description on what, you know, Codex is. So through the U.S. Codex program, the United States participates in the work of the International Codex Alimentarius Commission, which was established in 1963 by the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, FAO, and the World Health Organization. Uh, with a mandate to protect consumer health and ensure fair trade practices through the development of international food standards that are based on science. The CAC is also charged with promoting international coordination and harmonization of food standards. The CAC bases its work on the advice of independent international expert scientific bodies convened by FAO and WHO. So just so you understand the basis of where this comes from and how long this has been going on. And look, again, it's necessary. We need a management system. When you're importing, when you're exporting, it's important we have some regulations in place, obviously, so that we have um, healthy foods out there. It's, it's how they're pushing the control over, who they're pushing it to, and how they can take these standards and make them international and what they're going to change along the way with these standards. Okay. That's what concerns me. Right. So, so what does this mean for the local farmer, the local grocer, for a, a homesteader, uh, producer, for, for anybody, uh, in, you know, these, the, the little guy who's trying to um, subvert this system of food control, what does it mean for them? Right. Right. So before I scroll down to their little goals here, do, let's just play this. We're just, I just want to play this one minute clip um, that was on the USDA site on Codex in the USA so people understand the, the, the magnitude of this. 
The Codex Alimentarius is a partnership between the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, FAO, and the World Health Organization, WHO. Its science-based standards ensure that food is safe, while providing a reliable basis upon which to trade. All 188 member nations benefit, from the smallest to the world's largest economy, the United States, which often provides the data upon which codex standards are based. The U.S. imports a great deal of food from other countries, and the fact that codex standards are in place enables us to have greater assurance that the foods we import will have been produced in a safe manner and handled in accordance with safe handling practices. We also benefit because we are a major agricultural exporter. The fact that codex standards are out there opens up markets to our agricultural exporters so they help us from a trade perspective as well. All right. Are you there? Sorry, I thought I had it on mute by mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here talking. Okay, so I wanted everyone to just understand the basics um, of this. And it's, it is a necessary um, system to have in place, obviously. But again, it's um, the direction in which they're going with this. And, and like we said, how they could control this. So if you go down edge, if you go back to, um, yeah, and scroll down to page nine, we look at their vision, mission and goals and values, right? And so this was for, wasn't it 2019 to 2023, I think it yep. said? Okay. So they're looking to improve the lives of people worldwide through adoption of international food standards that protect the health of consumers and promote fair practices in the food trade. Okay, great. So they're gonna develop and advance sound US approaches that promote the adoption of science-based food standards by the Codex Alimentarius Commission and its members, which again, remember, we're talking United Nations, WHO-based. We already know where they're going with their sustainable goals. We already know that they want the future to be <laughs> completely traceable, digital identity, indoor, farming in urban areas, right? Right. So if we scroll down to the next one, um, we've got develop priority US positions in a timely and inclusive manner. Okay, so we're, we're moving quickly through this and we want to extend and enhance engagement with key officials at international organizations in other countries and promote a science-based, once again, rules-based, well-managed, Codex Alimentarius. Okay, great. Then we go down to 11. Um, let's see, what did I have marked here? Basically, they're trying to get all countries to adopt this, right? So this, this is a, a global goal here that we're trying to do. And they are, the U.S. wants to assist other countries in adoption and implementation of these uh, codex guidance and standards, which they're going to be updating 
as we move forward through their agenda. And so there's, um, do you have that link, Edge? If people want to dig into this further, uh, you can see a chart you can click on and they'll have documentation on standards for each of these items if you just kind of scroll through that. And there's information at the top and whatnot. So I would imagine as they start taking over some of these other areas, they're going to start expanding some standards. This, to me, I'm bookmarking it. This is a site I'm going to keep my eyes on, um, especially if they push this budget and control through the WHO, who very much so uh, they want involved in the food industry and agricultural industry on an international scale. So if we go back to, uh, let's see, or the next one, the one that starts the CDN one. Um, now there was one, <laughs> there was one before, but the, well, you could leave that one up. You can leave that one up, go back. Okay, so I was just showing. So this is Codex Alimentarius, right? This is published by the FAO Who the Codex Group. And they're, this is from 2018, and here they are promoting Bill Gates is working with geneticists to create the perfect cow. And he had donated 40 million toward research efforts to breed a cow that can produce more milk and survive in hot climates. So these people are so intertwined. Right. I just, I just, Codex apparently has no no problem with the standards of genetically modifying all of our food. I mean, that's right. Exactly. That, that's just fine. <laughs> Exactly. But they're going to have something to say if you grow something on your homestead or your um, your small little farm, right? <laughs> right, right. Or, you know, you don't have intellectual property rights to those seeds. What are you doing? Ah, <laughs> uh, there will be no sharing of those seeds. So um, if we go to the la da da da, I'm looking back at this. Um, the next one was the, the who the December, 2021, the who global strategy for food safety. Okay. Yep. This is their draft that they have put together that, um, is, is the strategy from 2022 through 2030. And I haven't had time to review all of this. So I just want to read two very key sections. This is a 56 page document. Society, changing expectations and behavior around food. That's the subheader. Social megatrends are a common phenomenon in today's interconnected world. Shifts in consumer preferences, purchasing trends and expectations are rapidly changing the production and distribution of certain foods, e.g. demand in some populations for organic, fresh and less processed foods and demand for alternative protein sources. Moreover, New business models, including e-commerce and food deliveries, are emerging to meet the needs of consumers. From the communication side, social media platforms provide new opportunities for risk communication and education regarding food safety. However, the difficulty is distinguishing facts from misleading information can lead to a loss of consumers' trust in food sectors and governments. Okay, so... They're very concerned about controlling the narrative on what we're talking about right now. Well, good and thing we have, have a ministry of truth now, so we can control that darn <laughs> right. misinformation. <laughs> right. And then we have the rise of new technologies and digital transformation. 
The pace of innovation in food and agriculture is increasing, bringing significant economic advantages to food production and benefits to consumers through increased product choice and a reduction in food waste. Novel plant and animal breeding methods involving genetic editing offer the potential for developing species with new traits, such as disease resistant and drought tolerance. Nanotechnology applications in the food sector can lead to improvements in nutrients, bioactive delivery systems, and novel food packaging materials, which can extend the shelf life of foods. Alternative food proteins, such as meat, egg, fishery, or dairy products that are plant-based, cultivated, or fermentation-derived, and other new food sources, such as lab-grown meat, including food product reformulation, reformulation, can improve consumer options and sustainability. However, new technologies for food production must be fully assessed from a public health point of view before products are placed on the market. Sure they will. In this regard, the Codex Alimentarius will play a key role in addressing the emerging and critical issues related to the usage of new technologies in a timely manner. Some new technologies require considerable investment in research and development and may be out of the reach of lower income countries, which would create an equity gap in innovation and ability to detect hazards. Digital innovation and transformation in the context of big data and analytics, artificial intelligence and the internet of things are trends that are rapidly changing food systems. For example, genomics and related tools such as whole genome or next generation sequencing and international sharing of data relevant to foodborne diseases enable more precise focused investigations including pathogen detection characterization identification and source tracking so that pretty much sums up the whole last 20 minute nut of what we've been talking about validating our theory on how where how they want to move forward and how they plan to control it and how they do in fact plan to use the codex alimentarius to um, address these new <laughs> systems basically they want in place to basically and track and control every piece of food in order to be able to control the entire global population mm -hmm. and how are they going to do that well with every way that they can using new technologies would you like some nanotechnology with your slice of uh of chicken breast <laughs> mm, or your tasty. or your bill gates mcdonald's french fries wow yeah i'm telling you what so I know it's a lot. It's 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 a lot to take in, and quite honestly, I've I've this is a much harder one to come up with solutions for. You know, I mean, we've got. Um, I, I'm not. I don't want to just be a parrot saying, "Grow your own food, get in a community, start gardening." You know, I do think though. I do think people should look into doing their own little indoor vertical gardening. Um, just because I don't trust what's could be taking place in the atmosphere in the future, you know, are they going to go over and crop dust farms, uh, just to put them out so that they can ensure they control all the produce. I don't know. Well, Who if knows? they're willing to blow up or burn down food processing plants, what's going to stop them. Right. right. I mean, they're willing, they're pretty much willing. We've seen, um, mm -hmm. to do anything. 
for the control. Well, and some of these bigger companies, I think, are more than willing to sacrifice their own plants just in the name of the cause of their little agenda to move forward, to create more shortages. You know, like Tyson, for example, they shut down during COVID. And um, they shut down like major plant during COVID. And so meat coming out of there was, was slow. And they are majorly invested in the whole synthetic meat industry. So I think over the course of time, we're going to see Tyson do a whole switcheroni over to that. So why not, you know, shut down, lose a little money in order to push your agenda forward for the greater good of the globalists? Never let a crisis go to waste. <laughs> That's yes. right. The head of USAID said that just this week regarding the fertilizer uh, shortage, manufactured shortage, of course. So, yeah, of it's all course. by design. All by design. All by so. design. So, so, yeah. So, Greg Reese did a fantastic, uh, he's so good at nutshelling. He took my report and he did um, like a four minute video on it. And he's done a lot of research into Monsanto. And when he read it, he said, you know, this has been Monsanto's goal all along. And um, so he, he covers the report, he covered, you know, he pulled out key points from the report, but then added in some additional info on Monsanto. And I just thought maybe we'd, we could end this out with uh, playing his short video because it's it's really good and i know we've dumped a lot of information here and he kind of does this brilliant little nutshell all right so before we close out thanks guys for watching please be sure to to share this podcast it's an important one and also please be sure to share and read Corey's latest report uh we are on bitshoot foxhole gab tv iHeartRadio, odyssey pilled Rumble, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and YouTube. And we're going to go ahead and, and finish this by playing Greg Reese's brilliant video of your report. During the 1990s, Monsanto Corporation's devastating attack against farmers, their genetically modified frankenfoods, and their neurotoxic pesticides inspired people to push government into legislating certification standards for foods. But thanks to Big Pharma, Bill Gates, and pop culture media brainwashing, Monsanto still stands strong and is ready to take complete control of your food supply. With the help of the same powerful families and foundations who already control the money and the energy. Their plans to do so are comprehensively laid out in a recent report published at Cory Diggs. The indoor vertical farming industry, which is a highly innovative and efficient method, is being funded by Bill Gates and pushed by the World Economic Forum as a replacement to conventional outdoor farming. Aero Farms is the industry leader in vertical farming, and they also co-developed the first CRISPR gene-edited produce product and worked with the NIH to produce proteins for the deadly COVID vaccines. Aero Farms makes it clear that they are not conventional gardeners. They are all about synthetic food products. 
which is clearly the trend in this growing industry. Monsanto is creating specially tailored genetically cut seeds for these vertical farms. And the University of California is developing a plant-based mRNA vaccine that farms can grow in heads of lettuce, which happens to be the main crop of these new farms. These GMO farms already provide food at major outlets, including Kroger, Walmart, and Whole Foods, and are massively expanding. And it's not only fresh produce that's getting genetically modified. The USDA and FDA have already approved genetic modifications on pigs, salmon, and cattle. And they have approved synthetic lab-grown meat. Bill Gates's Good Food Institute plans to reimagine meat production with $10 million of support from the USDA. But in order to make their big pharma food supply the new American model, they will need a major crisis. The 2020 lockdowns distressed the supply chain, which was further affected by U.S. sanctions against Russia. This has created a food shortage crisis. Add to that, over a dozen food processing plants have mysteriously been destroyed in the past several weeks, as well as major fertilizer plants during a major fertilizer crisis. To make matters worse, Union Pacific Railroad forces a 20% reduction in shipments from the world's largest fertilizer company. And when the people demand a solution, as it turns out, Bill Gates is heavily invested in alternative fertilizers and is also a chief stockholder of the Canadian National Railway, who claims to be helping the fertilizer market grow. Perhaps Bill Gates and Monsanto will volunteer to save everyone with their new gene-edited bacteria fertilizer. And maybe it will backfire like it did in Africa, when after 15 years of trying to help, all Gates and Monsanto accomplished was increasing starvation by 31%. But that's okay, because it's Monsanto bear to the rescue with their big pharma food factories, with brand new mRNA vaccine lettuce. And as if this wasn't bad enough, the stated goal of this new Franken-food industry is to make all food traceable. And that means coating it all in nanotech. Who controls the food supply controls the people. Who controls the energy can control whole continents. Who controls money can control the world. Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese.